thing I need. From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening and welcome to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heist. I'm the senior advisor to the president here at Family Research Council, and we're extremely honored to have you joining us. And as always, I'm exceedingly pleased and honored to be sitting in this evening for Tony. All right, we've got a great program lined up for you this evening. It's been a year since Vladimir Putin launched the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And in that time, no doubt, the world has witnessed the strength, the resiliency of the Ukrainian people. And they are, of course, fighting not only for their country, but for their very lives. In this war, there is an aggressor and there is a victim. Russia fights for conquest. Ukraine fights for its freedom. If Russia stops fighting and leaves Ukraine, the war ends. If Ukraine stops fighting, Ukraine ends. A very true statement. That was U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken this morning at the U.N. Security Council meeting on Ukraine. And so what's next in the battle? We will be joined here in just a few moments with freelance war correspondent Chuck Holton, who will be joining me live from Kiev to discuss this. But we need to understand what's happening in Ukraine is much bigger than just a war in Ukraine. There are many, many other questions. Uh, what big picture lessons can we take away from the invasion? And I will be joined here momentarily with General Jerry Boykin to discuss that topic. Well, it's been about three weeks since a Norfolk uh, southern train derailed in Ohio. We've all witnessed the incredibly disturbing uh, videos and images coming from that derailment. It released all kinds of chemicals that some say now plague the soil and the water and the air of the East Palestine community. The question is, why has the federal response been so scattered and so lacking? Congressman Doug LaMalfa will join me to discuss that issue a little bit later in the program. And then we have some very disturbing news. The CDC has released their study of youth risk behavior. And there are some encouraging uh, issue, uh, things in that report, but there are some issues of grave concern. We will be discussing that, and you do not want to miss it. It specifically points out teenage girls and some of the issues they're facing. At the same time, we had tremendous uh, spiritual advancement taking place at Asbury University this past week, providing all sorts of hope for what God can do when the body of Christ repents and seeks him. I really wish that my story was unique, but anxiety and depression have become the calling cards of the younger generations. And uh, I have seen God move in miraculous ways in college students over the past couple weeks. And my two biggest things in revival that God has revealed to me is, one, my God is bigger than I thought he was, because my God is bigger than my depression, and my God is bigger than my anxiety. Wow, that was from last night's Collegiate Day of Prayer. I hope you were able to see it. It was a powerful event held there at Asbury University. I'll be discussing this entire issue with FRC's Mary Beth Waddell and Pastor Jay Johnston 
a little bit later on in the program. And speaking of which, if there's any part of today's program that you miss, you can always find it by going to our website, TonyPerkins.com. You can find details of this show as well as archive shows there. So be sure to check us out later and check us out on the web, TonyPerkins.com. All right, today marks the one-year anniversary of Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. At this time last year, many Americans had not even heard of Vladimir Zelensky, but we've all watched his leadership. We've all watched his resolve and the resolve of the Ukrainian people over the past year, and unquestionably, many have been inspired as we have watched on. And Ukraine is facing this war not alone. We have friends. We make sure this aggression, this war, would not continue any, anywhere else. It's important for everyone to focus, to stay working in, in their own places. And that's it. And then we'll have victory. That was from President Zelensky himself in a, prayer brief, a press briefing that he held just a few hours ago. So where is the battle going to go from here? Joining me now live from Ukraine is freelance writer correspondent Chuck Holton. Uh, Chuck, uh, welcome to Washington Watch. We appreciate you coming on. I'm glad to be here. Well, listen, it was about this time a year ago that you actually were on this program with Tony right before the invasion actually uh, got started. In fact, I wanted to begin by playing a clip from that interview of you and Tony a year ago. The people here in Kiev really still, I think, don't believe that he's going to try to take the whole country. And so if he does, it's going to be mayhem. It's going to be really bad. Wow. Right you were. Here we are 365 days later. As you, Chuck, reflect back on that day and what's happened in the past years, uh, give me your thoughts. Well, when I was uh, sitting not far from where I'm sitting right now, a year ago, uh, the city was eerily quiet. It was uh, it had all but emptied out very, very quickly. We were sort of baffled in the run-up to the invasion at the nonchalance that we saw in the Ukrainian people. And uh, what I took for sort of a lack of preparedness, what I, I've since found was just that they had already been fighting this war for eight years before it started a year ago. And so they were inured to it already. They, they uh, knew what it was like to ha be in a nation at war. And this is a war unlike any other war that I have covered because it's a conventional war as opposed to an insurgency like we had in Iraq and Afghanistan and other places. And so there are actual front lines that change from day to day. Uh, but if you're not near those front lines, it's sometimes hard to remember that there's a war going on. If you look right outside my window, uh, it's after curfew right now here. It's midnight. But um, if you look out here during the daytime, there are people walking their dogs and licking ice cream and uh, going about their business, shopping. Uh, and you, you would almost just think you're in any capital in Europe. But uh, if you look a little closer, you'll see the sandbags around the monuments and you'll see sandbags built up in the, in the windows of some office buildings around here. And you'll see some windows that are boarded up still. Uh, now, Kiev is no longer empty because uh, the people, once they realized 
that Russia was not going to be able to take Kyiv, the people came back. And now there are more people living here than there were before the war because we have all the refugees from out east that have come here. Uh, so Russia has – it started out with an idea that it was going to take the whole country. And uh, it thought that would be very easy, but they didn't count on the fact that Ukraine would fight back. And so when they did fight back, and they fought back strongly, uh, Russia was unable. Their, their advance broke down very quickly, just within a matter of weeks. And so then they had to pull back and sort of uh, refocus their combat power in the east to try to just solidify the Luhansk and Donetsk region, the, the Donbass area uh, down there. And try to shore that up and take the rest of those the parts of those oblasts that they didn't already own. Uh, that actually failed as the Ukrainians hit the Russians with a big counterattack in September that pushed them out of the, the northern part of the Donbas and uh, pushed them out of Kherson in the south. Uh, so Russia has uh, lost pretty much across the board. Uh, Ukraine has more tanks now than they had. Before the war, many of those tanks were Russian tanks that were either abandoned or captured by the Ukrainians. They call it the Russian Lend-Lease Program. Uh, they, they have the, the Russians, when they realized they weren't going to succeed at their mission in the Donbass, decided that they were going to take out the infrastructure here in Ukraine and uh, pound the, away at the power grid. And they were able to degrade it by about 50 percent when I was here in December we had four or five hours a day rolling blackouts. And now, if you look out the window, the lights are all on. We haven't had a blackout here in about two weeks. Uh, and that just uh, shows that the Ukrainians have been um, adapting to this new reality and pushing the, the Russians very hard. The thing that we didn't count on was just the fact that the Russians have such an appetite for losing. They have such an yep. appetite putting their men in the meat grinder. And Chuck, let me ask you this. We've only got a, a few minutes left here. I I was actually in some briefings with this while I was in Congress. I was there when we had an address from uh, President Zelensky himself, and it really has been inspiring, the resolve of him and the Ukrainian people. But behind the scenes in all of that is the a, a church, a vibrant church in Ukraine. You uh, as, a, as a Christian, you've spoken about your reactions and your interactions to the involvement of the church in Ukraine. Tell us real quickly about that. There are a ton. As a matter of fact, the, the president was giving medals to the chaplains today. I saw that. Uh, that, that have uh, been out with the army. And there are, I've met so many vibrant Christians here. Uh, I, I'll just tell you about one real quickly. One family in a, a town called Okachiv that, that was down uh, or Orihiv down in the in the south the south of Zaporizhia, only about two kilometers from the Russian lines in a little town that had been twenty thousand people was down to two thousand, and the only reason there were anybody left is because they just simply couldn't leave. They didn't have any money. They didn't have anywhere to go. And there was one Christian family there, a pastor and his family, who said that their church grew from f about forty people before the war to over a hundred now that ninety percent of the people had left their town, and uh, they prayed about it. They have the means to leave if they need to. They have vehicles and money, but they prayed about it, and they feel like God told them that he would be glorified one way or the other in that circumstance. He could be glorified through them, or he could be glorified through someone else, and so they decided to stay, and there, when, when the bombs start falling, I spent the night with them, and there were just bombs falling all around, 
And when they start following, that family gets together around the kitchen table and holds hands and prays. And they have uh, so far continued to help the people bring in aid to the people that are still there. It's an amazing story. It is amazing. We've only got a little over uh, a minute left here. Uh, One of the reports that I'm hearing is Russia is bleeding out equipment uh, and that eventually this could be a war won because they lack the munitions. Are you hearing anything about that real quickly? And then I want to know how can we pray for the church and the people of Ukraine? Yeah, without a doubt, Russia is is there. They've got 97 percent of their military engaged in Ukraine, according to intelligence sources. They've they're using museum pieces as tanks now. They're they've had to pull a bunch of rusty tanks out of storage, and they've called up conscripts. So these this new wave of conscripts is even less uh, motivated, even poorly more poorly trained, poorly equipped than the last group was. And so now the the Ukrainians are much better equipped, much better trained, and so they are. I don't expect this new push to do any better than the last. How can we pray? I've been praying that God would thwart the plans of evil men because Russia has a huge uh, appetite for this, uh, you know, meat grinder and just pushing men in there. They feel like they can outlast the West, and that's how they will win. Chuck Holton, I know it's late there, about midnight. Thank you so much for staying up and joining us this evening on Washington Watch. We deeply appreciate it. I'm very happy to be here, and thanks for having me on. You guys are doing good work getting the word out. Thank you so much. All right, friends, coming up, more Washington Watch right after the break. General Jerry Boykin will be joining me with his reflections as we consider this one-year anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, We are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. 
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss. And don't forget our website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, on this grim anniversary of the first year since the invasion of Ukraine, I think we must be reminded yet again of the sovereignty of nations and the rule of international law. And within that context, what should the United States be doing? What is our role in all of this moving forward? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is FRC's Executive Vice President, General Jerry Boykin, who, by the way, spent the last uh, four years of his brilliant 36-year military career serving as the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense and Intelligence, and he was also one of the original members of the Army's Delta Force. Uh, General Boykin, as always, great to have you on the program. Thanks for being with us this evening. Well, thanks for having me on, Jody. It's always good to be with you. Well, listen, I feel like I've got a million questions. I'm just loaded up. I've got all kinds of paperwork here and questions coming all over the place. But here we are one year in the anniversary of this invasion. Uh, and just generally speaking, to start with, what are your thoughts? This was a war of miscalculations on behalf of uh, Vladimir Putin. He miscalculated the response of NATO. NATO's never been more unified. He miscalculated the response of the European Union. And most importantly, he missed uh, he missed it altogether in terms of uh, the capabilities and willingness to fight of his own military. They have been an abysmal failure. And about 200,000 that we know of now have been wounded or killed in uh, in a fight that they thought was going to last about three days. You know, that's a stunning number, 200,000. And, yeah, I mean, I'm reading here today, uh, Zelensky's speech was incredible. Again, tremendously inspiring, what are you saying? And he's saying, listen, we're going to win this war this year. 2023 is going to be the year of victory. We're not waving a white flag. Uh, We're waving our flag. We are not fleeing. We are facing up to the uh, Russians. On and on he goes. I don't think anyone a year ago, really understood the resilience of the Ukrainian people. And as you said, uh, Vladimir Putin, he was expecting a cakewalk, wasn't he? I don't think there's any question about it. He thought he was going to establish a a Russian-friendly regime there, and really in a matter of uh, days, maybe weeks, and that didn't happen. And, uh, And one of the things, though, that has been most interesting to me is 
the way his young soldiers have uh, done everything they could to get out of this war. Many of them just took off and walked back into Belarus. Uh, others just uh, abandoned their equipment, their tanks, their personnel carriers, uh, their artillery pieces, and uh, and made their way back into uh, Russia, uh, up into the uh, the eastern part there. And uh, I, I tell you, I have been surprised at how the Russian people have reacted as well. And that is they've, they've arrested over 20,000 people for protesting this war. And that is something that is basically unheard of. I think the last miscalculation like this was probably when Hitler came, went into uh, to Russia itself during World War II. Wow. I, I was not aware of the, the numbers being that large. That is, you know, that's one of those things that you've got to believe will come back uh, to haunt Putin, so to speak. But let, let's real quickly talk about the bigger picture here. What should we take from this? Uh, particularly, General, I'm thinking when we are uh, discussing, pondering our adversaries such as both Russia and China, uh, which I think we must look at uh, China in all of this as well, particularly in light of what I believe, and I'd like your opinion, this whole thing with Russia and Ukraine started because of the weakness of the Biden administration. Uh, would you agree with that? And if so, doesn't this play into China and what we could potentially expect from them? Yeah. First of all, I, I think that uh, there are some things that are uh, really hard to understand right now. I just read a couple of reports that uh, she is uh, is asking to meet with Zelensky. And, uh, and she is uh, calling for uh, the two sides to come together and, and negotiate. Now, that is unusual and, and also a little surprising to me. But I also think that uh, she is looking at this as, and I don't think a lot of people would agree with me on this, but I think she is looking at this and the drubbing that the Russians are getting, and hes I think he's probably assessing now what they have to do to be able to take the Ukraine and not wind up in the same situation that Putin is in right now. I, or I said the root, root, the uh, Ukraine, I meant Taiwan. Right. Yeah, and that's what I'm getting to. Don't, don't you, I mean, we, we look at the disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal. Uh, that had to motivate Putin to move ahead, saying we have weakness in the White House here. And then as we watch the response of this past year, has got to encourage China, uh, potentially with uh, Taiwan. Uh, we've only got about a minute left, but uh, how seriously do we need to be considering China, as you just mentioned, in Taiwan right now? This is seems to me a serious issue. China is a constant threat. So even if this wasn't going on, China would still be a threat. I will say this as the last thing. I am so tired of hearing this administration talk about the things they won't do or won't give uh, the Ukrainians because they're afraid of escalation. Escalation, are you serious? This could go away all overnight if Vladimir Putin wasn't escalating this, and that's what he's doing every day that he stays on the ground in the Ukraine. We've got to get, we've got to find our courage and really, uh, really do what's best for the Ukrainians so that they can have a, a real chance of defeating the Russians. Well, you know, this is spending billions of dollars is not the answer to all of this. I mean, this 
Uh, we're, we're in the ballpark of, we're in the ballpark of, what, over $100 billion. I, I get this, this is bigger than that. I mean, Ukraine is the immediate, but beyond Ukraine is both Russia and China. I think we've got to keep our focus on what those are doing and what our response is going to be to shut them down in the midst of this issue with Ukraine. Well, you can bet that uh, China is exploiting to the extent that they can. They're exploiting this whole thing, and, and they're exploiting the Russians probably more than than uh, the rest of the world. And the Russians right now are, are in a situation where they need China so desperately uh, that uh, they're just about willing to do whatever they have to do to get China's support. General, we're going to have to end it right there. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Folks, stay tuned to Washington Watch. Coming up next, the train derailment. Congressman Doug Lamoff will join me. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Again, I'm your host, Jody Heiss, sitting in this evening for Tony Perkins. We appreciate you joining us. Okay, the federal response to the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, has been absolutely disastrous. And quite frankly, this follows a whole pattern that we now know all too well that seems to be perpetually coming from the Biden administration, be it inflation or supply chain or the border issue, uh, bad events just keep happening. They keep piling up. Uh, and, you know, they keep saying, it's not our fault. It's not our fault. Well, the National Train Safety Board released their report yesterday, and surprise, they want more regulation. Joining me now to discuss this and more 
is U.S. Representative Doug LaMalfa. He serves on the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee and also the Ag Committee and the Select Committee on Climate. He represents the 1st Congressional District of California. Representative LaMalfa, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. Jody Heiss, it's really great to see you. Thank you, colleague. It's great to, great to be on with you today. Well, likewise, always good to see you. And uh, uh, we were, those of you who may not know, we uh, were just two, well, one or two offices down the hall from one another and uh, served on some committees together and had a lot of time, so a dear friend. All right, give me your thoughts on Mayor Pete and his response to this train derailment. Well, it's, it's aggravating how much time went by before there was a real response by the proper entities to be part of this. You know, now, the Federal Railway Association, uh, the FRA got on it pretty quick, but the NTSB, you know, I think they've gotten some answers as well. But what's really just disconcerting is what's been coming from the White House and the Secretary of Transportation. Now, I don't want to go on and on about that. That's been hashed quite a bit. You know, Biden didn't hasn't even been there and you know, Mayor Pete shows up two or three weeks later. But uh, the bottom line is, uh, let's get down to what are the facts of the case in this uh, in this train crash we have here, and and the chemicals involved. So, as as you mentioned right at the top, Jody, it was a deal where um, there, there's regulators can't wait to make new regulations on this and overreact. In the meantime, all we all we generally hear about uh, from the administration and even the Democrats in Congress is we talk about oh. You know, we got race issues, we got gender issues, we got climate change, or we got to blame Trump. That's just so tiresome because what we have here is uh, what do we really need to explore on the facts of what happened with this train? It sounds like, from what I'm picking up, is that there was a bearing failure on one of the axles. They say car number 23. Okay, so let's let's delve into that. Does that mean we have to replace the brake systems on all trains? You know, the some of the ideas laid out. Uh, by the board are like, well, we need to have uh, more paid work breaks for uh, railroad employees. What's that got to do with the train safety here? What you know, they, they want to, or, or, you know, paid vacation, all this stuff. They want to load other things in that aren't really part of the subject in order to pay off, uh, I guess, uh, certain political cronies, you know, so let, let's get, let's get focused on what the facts are, and what the needs are. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we keep hearing, I keep hearing, I'm sure you do as well, is the fact that you brought up, that is taken seems like forever for Mayor Pete to show up, and the president still has not found time in his schedule to uh, visit the uh, accident site there in East Palestine. In fact, here's what White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre, here's how she explained things. There's bipartisan support for winning this war. So I guess I'm just struggling to understand why the president wouldn't go to East Palestine. It does it simply not meet the bar for a presidential visit? Look, I don't, I, I, it's, I want to be very clear here. Um, there's no reason to struggle, I don't think, on this question. Well, I mean, that's just bizarre. It's like, I, I, I want to I, I, I be clear. But he, but he, but he, you know, it's like, what in the world is she trying to say? Uh, there is no excuse. Look, nobody explains or, or no one blames uh, Mayor Pete nor the president for the accident. But there is reason for great concern for their response in all of this. I, I, what, what are your thoughts with this? Well, if the response is going to be just more regulations that are miss that don't even hit the target here, let's get down to and what I hope to do in committee. Now, me and several of my colleagues, we already have a letter into NTSB, 
asking a lot of uh, specific questions on on how the issue was addressed, what uh, what people signed off on. For example, you know, Jody, the the biggest problem here to me is the decision that was made to torch the chemicals that were involved in in the crashed rail cars. Okay, now. They'll say, all oh, could have exploded, all right? Well, you know, that doesn't seem like a very wise reaction to me. We, we want to know more about how much of this could have been vented off uh, without having to light the thing on fire. And, and have you know, we, we've all seen that smoke plume, that mushroom cloud, and it ended up flying all over the, the northeast. So could they have done more to actually find a way to pump off some of the cars that weren't as directly involved in fire or keep – keep water going on the fire. I know it's tough, and I don't mean to claim to have all the answers on this, but the idea that the best way to do this was light it on fire and have all the fallout you got from those chemicals just seems like a terrible idea to me. So these are what we want to ask in our committee. I'm proud to be on the TNI committee as well as the subcommittee on railroads and, and get to some of these answers uh, from from these folks on this because it seemed pretty irresponsible. They said, well, it could be an explosion. Like, well, they already had at least a one-mile uh, radius evacuated the area. It seems like what has happened has been environmentally worse than you could imagine. And EPA, you know, that was their answer to it. So, so that's, this is what I want to know about. Representative Lamalfa, we're glad you're on that committee as well. I wish we had more time. I've got tons of questions and reports here with chemicals that are still there that are very dangerous. But thank you. We'll have to catch that at another time. Thank you for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Yeah. All right, friends, coming up, we have some disturbing news, a study that confirms what many of us feared about today's youth. Well, the question is, how can we help? We'll be discussing that right after the break. Stay tuned. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? 
Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, your host, sitting in this evening for Tony. And just a reminder, we have had so many of you who have been following the situation with former police officer Jacob Kersey. He is the one who was forced to resign due to sharing his personal biblical views on marriage on his personal social media page. Well, you can join with us in trying to help make a difference there. You can join with us by asking Mayor Norton and the Pentworth, Port, Port Wentworth City Council uh, to issue an apology to Jacob. And so you can do that simply by going to uh, frcaction.org, then slash Jacob, frcaction.org slash Jacob, or you can simply text the name Jacob to 67742. And we ask you to come along, help us with that, as this is an extremely important religious liberties case. All right, this is uh, an extremely disturbing news item I want to bring up next. Uh, The CDC has released their youth risk behavior report. They did so last week. And look, there are some positive signs in this. For example, teen pregnancy uh, continues to plummet Uh, as does substance abuse uh, among some of our young people. But those of us, there have been many who have been sounding the alarm for a long, long time about teen mental health. And I can tell you the numbers are disturbing. Uh, They're shocking, uh, in all honesty. And there is no way to sugarcoat this. Nearly one out of every three High school girls said that they had seriously considered suicide in the past year. One out of three. That is a 60% increase in the past decade. Look, this begs the question, what is going on? And how can we restore meaning to the lives of these young people? Well, joining me now to go over these numbers is Mary Beth Waddell. She's the Director of Federal Affairs for Family and Religious Liberty here at the Family Research Council. Mary Beth, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here with you, Jody. Well, listen, I'm sure you were just as shocked as I am with the stunning report uh, as it relates to high school girls, one in three, seriously considering suicide over the past year, uh, what, what are your thoughts to this? 
It is heartbreaking. You know, I myself was a teen girl. Um, I have five nieces and nephews, or five nieces that are in their teens, early 20s, that I've seen face this with either themselves or their friends, things of that nature. Um, and I have 15 in total nieces and nephews. So this is very real for me. Um, not only because I went through a teen girlhood, but I see in this generation what it looks like firsthand. Um, and so it's very heartbreaking, uh, not necessarily surprising, as you mentioned earlier, with everything that we're seeing in culture and society. But despite all of that, I do believe that there's still hope. Well, you know, we have to take an honest look at this. I mean, there's all I've seen all sorts of excuses, uh, throwing the blame, COVID and a host of other things. But what are some of the issues that young people are facing today that we need to honestly look at? Uh, they are facing real issues of what spirituality and what is their identity in Christ. And so much of that really is being affected by um, these outward issues like COVID, um, like increases in single parenthood and fatherlessness and being inundated with identity politics that is just keeping them so uh, ironically confused about their identity and who they are, what is truth, what is right, what is wrong. Um, and we live in a technological age that does have compounding effects of you have to look perfect, you have to look like you have it all together, uh, and even loneliness just because you have, you know, so many friends on a social media platform doesn't mean that you actually have someone there for you to talk about the deep issues, to talk about what you're really going through, to talk about spirituality and things of those nature um, that you don't you might not have that in those 1500 followers or thousands of followers that you have on TikTok or whatever. Yeah, you bring up a really good point with the technology. I mean, I, I don't think anyone would doubt. I saw uh, just today, in fact, a, a study, and it seems unbelievable to me, but uh, among high school girls, they spend up to 70 hours a week on their phone and on, on this. I mean, that's a stunning amount of time. And when you give yourself over to that, there are literally hundreds of, hundreds of voices speaking into their lives, as you say, how they're supposed to look, how they're supposed to act, what clothes they're supposed to wear, uh, all, all these a bombardment of voices, voices that they can never measure up to. They cannot be this perfect person. And at the same time, we are in a culture that is uh, dehuman. We, we, for crying out loud, can't even, uh, many today, can't even define what a woman is. And so you look at these young girls, and uh, no wonder there's so many problems. Uh, it, it is both a societal problem and a spiritual problem. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. What the societal problems that we're seeing are the physical manifestation of the spiritual problems and the spiritual issues. Um, and the attack of the enemy on this generation and on young people. You know, the Bible tells us that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And that is what all of these societal issues and these numbers are exemplifying. It is showing that attack and what the enemy would desire to do 
to this generation. He doesn't want them to know who they are. He doesn't want them to know who Jesus is. He doesn't, he'd rather them spend time on TikTok than in the word. You know, he wants them confused and fearful, not understanding Jeremiah 29, 11, that they have a purpose that is good and is for them, that we have a spirit of love and of peace and not fear in the midst of all this anxiety, that that's what the word tells us that Jesus gives us. And he would rather this generation not know that. Well, Mayor Beth, I want to thank you so much for joining us on this. I, I just share with you an enormous concern for what this study is revealing. It shows that we have a lot of work before us, and I say we primarily referring to families and the body of Christ to reach out to a generation that obviously is hurting tremendously. Thank you for your input this evening on Washington Watch. We appreciate you joining us. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. All right, when we look at all of this, it it really is disturbing in so many ways. Uh, But in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the difficulty, we, most of us, probably you as well, have been watching over the last couple of weeks some very encouraging developments spiritually that have been coming out of Asbury University and literally spreading, hopping to many, many, many other campuses around the world. Well, one of our own, Dr. Jay Johnston, has been to Asbury. He's a national prayer director at the Family Research Council, and he just returned from the event that took place at Asbury last night. Uh, Dr. Johnston, thank you for joining us. Always great to have you. Uh, Thank you, Jody. Good to be with you this afternoon. Thank you very much. I want to begin by by showing a clip of one of the testimonies that took place last night. You were there. You saw it. No doubt you will uh, remember this, but uh, play clip two for me. I really wish that my story was unique, but anxiety and depression have become the calling cards of the younger generations. And uh, I've seen God move in miraculous ways in college students over the past couple weeks. And my two biggest things in revival that God has revealed to me is, one, my God is bigger than I thought he was, because my God is bigger than my depression, and my God is bigger than my anxiety. Wow. I know you remember that vividly. My wife and I, we were watching in tears uh, as she and uh, many others were sharing. Uh, And I was just talking with Mary Beth a few moments ago. Uh, Hopefully you were able to hear about the mental health issues, especially among teenage girls, high school girls. Uh, Why is that such a struggle, particularly in this upcoming generation? Uh, Well, one of the, I think there's several reasons. I don't think there's just one. Uh, Definitely, uh, in the societal side, uh, the absence of the father in many homes, the broken homes, uh, just the lack of communication in homes. But right before that young lady shared her testimony, one of the professors, administrators who uh, often would share, and he was present around to just pray with students, he kept declaring that what God is doing here is he's rescuing this generation. He's rescuing them from depression and anxiety and from death. And what he's doing is he's moving them into, and they're going to be known and and experiencing joy and fulfillment in life. And I, I believe that with all my heart, that God's 
begun that work. He's continuing that work. But back to your your question there, the absence of of that home life, that family time, the communication in listening to a number of students really for a number of years as I've been intentional of trying to sit down with this generation and meet them in their place, whether it's a coffee shop or, or just having a meal with them and just listening to their, their heart, a lot of that has taken place. And there was a testimony that followed uh, that young lady uh, and the young man is a pastor's son. And he shared he struggled in high school with who he was and his own identity. And he, he acknowledged it was his path that he chose um, to just move into really some darkness. But the Lord just has really brought him out. And and he's getting the counseling that he needs and, and just the support around him. And so I think that's the other part is that this this generation needs to not find themselves isolated, but they really need people listening to them. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I think when when all is said and done, one of the things that not only this current generation, but all of us are learning, can learn when watching the events of Asbury and and even before that, I mean, many, many people were praying. We had a, a few weeks before what broke out at Asbury, a national day of prayer and repentance, even in Washington, D.C. And there's there's just this ongoing presence of of uh, and willingness to turn to God. But something all of us can learn from this is that God gives all of us a gift of life and the gift yes. of purpose. And just like that young lady said, he is bigger than our problems. Is that yes. really kind of the message that you picked up from your time there at Asbury? I I, I did pick that up, that, that God is bigger. And, and they are, those students have come to recognize that God is God and that he loves them. He genuinely loves them and wants a relationship with them. And, and the beauty of that is the, the staff and faculty there are helping to nurture that. But here's the thing. I heard different numbers, so I'm not going to throw out one number because I don't really know the exact number. But I do know a number of students that have shared testimonies were not just from Asbury. They were from surrounding schools. In fact, by the afternoon of February 9th, the auditorium was filled not just with with Asbury students, but colleges and universities from right around the Lexington area as, as word began to spread. You know, God created us to be social beings, never to be alone, never to be isolated. And that's what's happened. I think that's part of what Mary Beth was saying when the enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy. That Absolutely. to believe that and get, get pushed in that way. But, you know, even what's been happening around D.C., there's a group of pastors and the number ranges from about 175 to 250 that have been gathering and they started calling themselves essential and they've come together to pray together because they found themselves also isolated and so God is God is working and he's doing a work all around this country 
And 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 Jody, the beauty of last night in a way that it it really didn't end. There was a commissioning to go out, which the, the Lord has given us the great commission to go. But and and we need to do that. We need to go into all the world and to make disciples. But this commissioning was to go to to your family and share what's happening. Go to your church. Go to your city. And begin sharing that. And, and the text coming out of Second Kings 7, I would just encourage everyone to read that, uh, to read Second Kings 7, study it. Read Psalm 34 and understand what God's doing there. Understanding that one of the verses of Scripture that that young lady of the clip you played was out of Matthew 11 of to when Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, I'll give you rest. If you have a conversation with some of those in this generation, one of the, when you ask the question, how are you doing? Often the response is, I'm tired. And you wonder, what are they tired from? But I've come to have a greater compassion and, and understanding for them and that they really are tired. They're tired of the way that they've been maybe conditioned or put into life. And, and we need to recognize that, that Jay, we're gonna have Jesus to wrap is up. telling them to come. So, yes, yes, sir. And thank you so much for uh, the insight that you bring. We appreciate you joining us so much on Washington Watch. Thank you. Have a great evening. You too. And friends, each of you have a fantastic weekend. God is at work. Never lose heart. Don't be in despair. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.